Welcome to Slide, the Avalanche Podcast. My name is Doug Krause, and this is episode 14. Spring is springing here in the San Juans. Not cool. But the weather is bound to change sooner or later. Like tonight, maybe. Here at Slide, we are deep in the dung, the dung of debiasing and figuring out ways to improve our decision making. This episode is going to wrap that subject. I got some feedback from my buddy Cheech last week. The crux of it was something along the lines of, holy crap, the content is dense. You've got to find a way to make it easier for the good folk of Powtown to unwrap and digest all that creamy filling you're laying out. He suggested slowing down and embedding interludes where one may pause and reflect. That sounded oddly familiar to me. Slowing down to allow for reflection, that is. This episode is shorter. They seem to be getting shorter. I think that's a good thing. A lot of you have told me you re-listen to the episodes. And I think a 15 to 20 minute runtime makes that a whole lot easier. I'll insert some longer pauses for rumination in this episode. You are not required to ruminate during these interludes. You may also groove, wonder what's for dinner, or keep typing. Let's give her. Well, mercy. After the last two episodes, we have an imposing heap of debiasing strategies and tactics at our disposal. At the risk of increasing that burden, I got some more straw for your camel. We already covered pre-biasing, stuff you can do well before a decision is required. Ways to grease your decider to do good work. Special Hassenpfeffer. That includes training, structured planning, mindset, and rules. In the last episode, we got in it. When decision time creeps around the corner or smacks us upside the head, there are simple tactics we use to empower judgment. Pausing to review goals and priorities seizes control from Otto the pilot and engages our debiasing process. We castigate belief with skepticism and spin yarns about what might go wrong and how our different options might pan out. And we make the we a we. We. All the way home. By talking it out with a partner or peer or omnipotent overlord. A massive cud 
Yet we ain't quite done yet. Consider the idea of systemic de-biasing strategies. And wonder how skiing deep powder ever came to this. A systemic debiasing strategy optimizes, backs up, and open sources our decision making environment. That environment could be a large snow safety operation, or a small guided group, or backcountry buddies, or even some guy with a leather boots and fleas in his beard that skitters about the snowy forest. We want to enhance our environment to support judgment. Optimizing the environment begins with prioritizing making good decisions. That has to be more important than going fast or deep or big. Sounds obvious, right? But how often does making the right decision wind up on your list of goals and priorities for the day? Years ago, I met this alchemist in Uspijata. He told me the world was full of secrets. I gave him 50 pesos, and he taught me the secret to bending time. It sounded like a good deal, but it was just a trick. So I asked him for change. Planning and efficiency add time. To your system, and that facilitates making better decisions. Planning reduces the amount of time and effort required for a decision, and efficiency increases the total amount of time available. Boom, boom. If we've already run through several options on the way to the summit, We have more time on top to decide among them. If we're not putzing about with gear or route finding or lollygagging, we have more time to decide. Managing a group of heli skiers on top of a precipitous pinhead requires one's full attention. So does the whole, how are we going to get down this pin and back to the shuttle bird part. There are multiple priorities competing for attention. Pre-planning and optimizing movement around the helicopter and on the LZ is one of the ways heli-guides create extra moments to focus on critical decisions. You already have an initial descent plan and not a movement is wasted while you're unloading the gear basket and shouting your clients to the ground. Operational planning and efficiency create more time for decisions. Just like that dude in Uspijata said. Reducing the number of required decisions in a given environment also helps them, you know, get done better. 
This reduction of cognitive load and decision fatigue gives us more mental juice to squirt on the most important stuff. Breaking a problem into separate parts and delegation among a group may ease the mental burden as well. You get the pizza, I'll get the beer. We might need a third to supervise, just in case. And for crying in the night, please don't make it too complicated. None of that half pickles and half pineapple nonsense. Information should be packaged so that it is easy to use, like a Twinkie wrapper. I'll have that wrapper off and be into the spongy goodness and creamy filling before you can say, Count Chocula. For an operation, this means that your data, planning, and instructions need to be easy to use and easy to follow. At a personal level, the Roo reduces to effective communication as it is want to do. That's phase one of our system update. Optimizing the decision environment by creating time, reducing complexity, and communicating clearly. Phase 2. System Backup. In the same way teamwork provides backup behavior among peers, backing up the decision-making environment decreases our vulnerability to choosing the wrong pill. It's a margin that mitigates the consequences of bias and error. Our operation or small group can anticipate problems and integrate process that compensates for the fact that we are, sadly, still less than perfect decision makers. Standing criteria for decisions will guide the type and quality of information we seek. Would you drop in without knowing what lies below? Knowledge of consequences is a legit decision criterion. Even though it sounds like a cheap Grisham novel, the decision criterion. Our operation, or group of backcountry compadres, can create evidence and uncertainty requirements that are specific to any given decision. Nuggets of beta that we need in order to decide. That ensures a full evaluation before you get to the cliff in the couloir. We can weight the evidence and uncertainty requirements so they fall into priority levels. We can create tripwires that initiate reassessment. How's that camel doing? I have an old tripwire. Anytime something surprises me, I pause to reassess. 
A post-control release or the sudden realization that a client can't ski powder are obvious tripwires that invite decision reassessment. As a backcountry skier, I've never purposefully developed lists of decision criteria, but I reckon I fall into them pretty naturally. Decision-making tools that guide you along a path are popular and typically include numerous prompts for gathering information. We're in a wet slab cycle right here, right now. There's not a chance I'd go skiing without checking the overnight temps at a variety of elevations. Your standard EMS and rescue algorithms begin with demanding information on scene safety. All that stuff is critical decision criteria, and including it in defined process backs us up when it comes time to decide. Nudging is another way to back up our decision-making. Not to be confused with judging or budging, but a nudge could budge your judge or not. Sorry. A nudge is a subtle push in a favored direction. We could almost call it systemic passive aggression. I like that. That's my way. Priming the default option is a common nudge tactic. When organ donation is the default option on a driver's license, people are dying to donate their vital bits, so to speak. When it's not, they volunteer in dramatically lesser numbers. If our plan is to ski something middle of the road in terms of risk, that is the default option. Changing the plan to something riskier requires some effort. If certain runs are designated no-go on a given day, that is a powerful default. We'll need some serious evidence to override that decision. Setting default options that incorporate respectful margins is an effective tactic for backing up our decision-making process. Incentive is another nudging tool. If I put a delicious cookie on a favored course of action, that path will get more traffic. We can incentivize communication, or specific choices, or just about anything. That's using our system to nudge us in a particular direction. Incentive and planning for default nudge our instinct. We can also nudge the judge into active assessment and analysis. Structured breaks for reassessment and choice push us towards considering additional options. A checklist may do the same. Nudges to action complement passive poking nudges. If I'm required to start the day with three contingencies, that's a nudge. Same thing if my process includes a planned break for considering options. Nudges can guide our passive and active decision-making process towards happy good fun time. They provide systemic backup. Let me spin that one more time for you. We can optimize the decision-making environment by creating time and reducing complexity. 
we can back it up with process that defines the ingredients of our decisions and nudges us in the right direction. And like we always do about this time, I'm breaking it down to communication. What I call open sourcing the decision-making environment. If your system requires individuals to solicit advice and proffer feedback, you have an open decision-making environment, one that harnesses the power of a group and helps it behave as a team. The sum is only more than the parts when they work together, interdependently, towards a common goal. Teamwork. That's episode 8 of Slide, the Avalanche podcast. Closed decision-making environments do not harness the power of a team and lend themselves to debilitating bias. That bias is a glop on the skins of your decider. It compromises adaptation. Systemic strategies to optimize, back up, and open our decision-making environment. Pile that on top of the personal debiasing tactics we discussed earlier. And surely you will be well on your way to becoming a paragon of objectivity. It would be lovely to tell a tale of systemic optimization at an operational level, like with a ski area or a heliop or a forecasting program. I've tried that on numerous occasions with generally good results, but the non-disclosure in the name of protecting our sensitive bits act of way back when prevents me from sharing the gory details. Surely someone is out to get us. I could fictionalize a tale, but systemic operational debiasing does not strike me as a compelling short story. Maybe we can find the traces of systemic optimization, backup, and open sourcing in something that could have gone worse. Yep, I reckon this was early season once again. Me and the Barba were fixing to ski something up the road a piece. When you're backcountry skiing, pace plays a significant part in defining your decision context. Barbara and me got no problems there, just the two of us. We take the time we need and make more if we need it, and we try to keep it simple. No rush, no muss, no fuss. Simple optimization. We ran into this dude, though. He must have asked in the parking lot if he could join us. That added a wild card. Apparently one of us said okay, but I'm sure we fell into the category of reluctant 
leaders. I guess dude didn't hear the story about not following being the safer path, but we eventually made that clear. Me and Barba had some options in mind that kind of bracketed what we thought was reasonable risk, given the hazard. We had an aggressive, a moderate, and a low-risk option. Decision criteria would have been a really good idea. The number of large avalanches we triggered in recent weeks would have loomed large there. No doubt it did, but maybe that element lacked the prominence that it deserved. So we cruise up through the woods to treeline. The approach is almost too mellow. I try to chat up fresh homie regarding his experience level. He's already dropped the names of some mutual friends, which is friendly, but almost counts as a strike against him. You know, if I say, Yo, man, we both friends with Dre. That does not make me a gangster. There's not really any exposure on the up route, but we get to this one spot that's broad and open and has a lot of new snow on it, and I'm like, damn! What you reckon, Barba? And he was like, damn! There's a lot of snow up in there. We are excellent communicators. The slope has got to be a couple degrees less than 35. Low consequence, so we weren't seriously concerned. But it got our attention. Usually it's thin and almost grassy, not stacked with a couple feet of new. We crossed it one at a time, and I kept an eye on Fresh Homie, gauging his movement and style. After that, we're on top of the Zona. We got a ridge route down, or the open slope leeward of the ridge, or the more scoured option windward of the ridge. Windward is conservative, middle is moderate, and leeward is aggressive. Simple. So we rapped about it. Our plan was to ski the ridge. We set a default option that left options for increasing or decreasing exposure. The options invited us to reassess. Priority number one was definitely not getting caught in an avalanche. Priority number two was skiing powder. Woohoo! Our hope was that the ridge held enough pow to be good skiing without the need for upping the exposure by dropping to leeward. But I wanted to drop to leeward. When I mentioned that option earlier in the day, I said something like, maybe if we feel good about the snow, we can dip into the main slope. Barba replied with a casual yet pointed, yeah, or maybe we just stay on the ridge. Dude was nudging me before we even got there. So we chatted it up. The barber was still inclined to stay on the ridge, and I had no argument in favor of something more aggressive. Snow looked good on the ridge. It gave us a healthy margin in the face of recent instability. Fresh homie was mostly silent. We decided to bracket the fresh maker and Barba traced a few hundred feet down the ridge in light and dry needy pow, a rarity on that ridge. It looked real fine. He posted up and gave a wave. Fresh prints drops onto the ridge and shadows Barba's track. About three quarters of the way down, he swoops leeward and grabs a special, extra deep turn, then pops back up onto the ridge. 
the entire slope collapses audibly. There she goes, chimes in the Barba. So fresh and so clean slides in next to Barba as the fracture zippers up the ridgeline, and the leeward slab pulls away and starts churning into the loose glade below. Trees snap, and we see a powder cloud billow up as the debris hits the gully far below. I ski down the ridge and join the others. Eh, Maybe we just stay on the ridge, eh? Junior homie is alert, but notably calm, given that he just triggered a large human record slab. The crown was three to five feet deep and followed the ridgeline for a couple hundred feet. The bed surface, nothing but loose facets on rock and tundra and bits of old wind slab. Big mess. Broken trees and piles of debris in the glade below. We descend a low exposure route adjacent to the avalanche track. I can't actually remember if fresh homie joined us for a second lap in the trees. So our decision-making environment was pretty optimal. No rush, simple plan, good alternatives. Making the right decision was a high priority. We backed up our decision-making by setting the default option, the ridge, in a place we were comfortable with. We even calibrated that option by framing it within step-up and step-back alternatives. If you're a fan of complexity, you can call that dialectical bootstrapping. Google that. Barbara nudged me early on with a simple word. Planned reassessment further nudged us to reconsider all the options. More backup for our decision-making. Finally, our decision-making is open source. We talk it out. Fresh homie was sort of excluded, but eh, whatever. I can't claim that we have a fine-tuned backcountry skiing system. But there's a good argument that our decision-making environment is optimized, backed up, and open. And no legs were snapped in the making of this story. all we got for this week hope you enjoyed the show y'all can give me some feedback on the slightly adjusted format and music scene i'm sure some of you will love it and some of you will probably not love it so much but anyway i'm shooting for two more episodes here it is darn close to april so i just don't know if that's gonna happen or not but uh we'll just go ahead and throw it out there anyway also gonna be working on getting an index to the episodes up on our facebook page again yeah, we'll see if that happens if you enjoy slide the avalanche podcast i do encourage you to subscribe on itunes or android the music this week is by chakra Emotional support is provided by the Silverton Avalanche School and DPS Skis. And to all y'all out there, thank you. Pray for snow.